welcome to Source of Uncertainty, a Buqua podcast for you. I'm Kyle Swisher. And I'm Robert Standifer. And thanks for coming back for episode number 19. We're closing out 2020 yeah. with, a, with a whimper. We're, and we're between Christmas and New Year's, so we can't say this is the Christmas episode or the New Year's episode. Mm-mm. It's just a goddamn Monday, you know? <laughs> it's just a... It's just a Monday. It was a nice sunny Monday. It's been pretty nice here, at least. I can't tell you. I looked outside. I don't know. Did you have a good Christmas? Um, yeah, for you know what it was. Um, it was all good. Um, yeah, I got to play with my kiddos' toys. You know, he got a bunch of action figures, and so it was fun. Uh, they're they're very poseable now. So it was yeah. Had had fun with uh, playing with him. What about you? I, well, I can't even remember. It was it was so dull. <laughs> um, I, I got a, a pair of pajamas for Christmas, which was really nice. So I wore those on mm-hmm. on Friday. That was fun. We had <laughs> we had prime rib from a local restaurant delivered. Oh, cool! And I, and I ate that for like three meals because it was four pounds of prime rib for two people. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and I and I worked on music. Pretty much nonstop. Good. Yeah, it was nice. I've been on vacation since, literally since December 7th, but figuratively mm-hmm. since the week before Thanksgiving, or the week of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been not home for six weeks. Well, I've been home for almost a year now, but I've been off for six <laughs> weeks and I've had lots and lots of time to do fun music things. So Christmas Day was just another work on music kind of day, which was really nice. Usually what happens on, on, on what we would call a normal Christmas is you have this great buildup, the advent calendar, the movies, the food, presents under the tree. And then Christmas morning, you open all that crap and then you just kind of sit around like, well, now what? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't have yeah. a big family. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you watch a Star Wars movie or something like, like yeah, that. Yeah, now what do I do? So this was the first Christmas that I can ever remember in my whole life where I didn't say, now what? Because it was really just another day. It was, it was actually kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so you were working. So speaking of that music, we're going to talk about that kind of a bit more next month, but. It also is kind of what brings us to the what we're going to be digging into the show today, and um, that's the two seventy two E. Yeah, the polyphonic tuner, right? And that's kind of like the the backbone of this uh, release that you're putting out next month, right? Yeah, you know when you and I were talking about vaporwave a couple of episodes ago, mm-hmm. and I had I was talking about doing you know this Buchlo wave experiment using the 272e as the source of um of this you know kind of the the structure of the songs mm-hmm. the way that vaporwave uses pre-recorded songs you know kmart music and so on and so as i started to to do that i thought yeah, this is pretty cool and then you said hey you should be the featured artist for january i thought yeah. okay yeah that's great and then i realized oh man i have to uh, make an album <laughs> <laughs> And since we were going to do the 270, we talked about the 272E for a featured module someday, mm-hmm. it worked out really well because I got to spend a ton of time uh, playing with it. 
And there were so many stations with Christmas music on them that I was like, I was able to use that as sort of a, a baseline for experimenting with how I could shape the, the output, you know, the sound of that stuff, because I know those Christmas songs. So I know what they're going to, you know, if you're listening to Oh Holy Night and you're listening for a, like a high pitch in that to do something with that, you know, where it's coming from. So it's kind of, it's kind of, and then there was lots of talking, lots of talking <laughs> on regular stations. So I could do really cool stuff with vocoders and, and uh, pitch shifting and phase shifting and stuff. So it was really, it was really neat. The using it as a base, kind of using the 272 as a base for composing music is really, really challenging. Um, I thought because in a good way though, because if you have something going on the 272E that's maybe providing the rhythm and there are some pitches in there, I, I like to have the whatever I'm playing on top of that kind of match that. But the radio is so unpredictable, unless it's Christmas songs, I guess, that, that um, you know, as you're cycling through stations, you just you really don't know what you're going to get and it can be unpredictable in a really interesting way. And so, so you are using like other sound sources too? Yeah, um, I'm using the 259E and 261E and the 258E oscillators. And I'm using some samples on my MPC-1000 that I found that um, kind of going through the 230E because I never did my 230E featured module segment. So I thought I would just kind of squeeze that guy in here a little bit too. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got a couple of... There's this really weird reading of Beowulf from an old podcast episode. Some podcast is long since dead from like 2000. Hmm. And I love it because first of all, it's Beowulf, which is just unintelligible anyway. But the guy's reading it with gusto, you know, and his (laughs) voice goes up and it comes down. And he's also right up on the mic. So the entire thing is distorted because it's clipping. Okay. Because yeah. he's all up in the mic, you know. And so I like, this is a really interesting sound. So I combine that with like static from the 272E that goes through like the, the frequency shifter balance modulator, you know, where I can shape it and sound it, make it sound like AM radio. And mm-hmm. then take that recording of Beowulf and it's all grainy and crappy. And then it sounds like that's actually something being played on the radio. And mm. so taking those together and then chopping it up with like the 281E to get, you know, four copies of it and just shifting that um, with with a delay, you know, like having it have, if you, when he says Beowulf, you hear him say Beo at like four times and then Wolf <laughs> four times. <laughs> this is really cool stuff like that. It's It's... Yeah. And then, you know, mixing that down a little bit so that it's not the thing that's in your face so that the music can be on top of it. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, so that, it comes out next month, um, the second week of June. It'll be on this show, Featured Artist, which is really exciting. Second week of January. What did I say, June? Yeah. Yeah, I'm you know. hopeful, man. Yeah, I'm summertime. Like, that, that's when I'm going to get my vaccine, I bet. It's the second week of June. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so second week of January, like... Six months from now. That's it's exciting. And it I don't want to say what it's called though. I don't want to say the name of the album. 
Yeah, no, that I think we'll I think we'll go more in depth uh, yeah. next episode because it'll been out for a couple weeks, and so we're we're yeah, it'll be released on our feed. Um, you know, it's the artist spotlight uh, episode, so I believe it's uh, January thirteenth. We're hoping that it's <laughs> that or that's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Um, it should be that week. I'll and have my then, part done. <laughs> sweet, <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, then we can kind of. Uh, talk about it more specifically once it's it's out but i've heard a couple of things from it and uh, i'm excited yeah that's cool it's it's nerve-wracking because it i mean it's a little bit different for me so much of my stuff that i do at bukla has been almost purely experimental so if people didn't like it i really didn't care because i was exploring and experimenting with sounds and timbres and all that kind of stuff but with this one, I've actually spent quite a bit of time and energy on composing melodies and, you know, working on harmonies and getting the effects right and all that's like actually putting a lot of hard work into it yeah. so that crafting. Yeah. So that people will enjoy it. And so if people don't like it, I'm like, oh, well, hmm. maybe well, I'll get hey, good feedback at least. You always got to do it for you for yourself first and foremost, you know? Yeah. So. That's good words to live by. Yeah. So as long as you know you're excited about it, then. Well, the, you know, we've talked about the Bukla versus like VSTs, and when I'm using my DAW to compose, if I'm using like a Mellotron and a Polymoog and whatever, mm-hmm. I f- I make like I make good music, meaning it's very listenable, nice music that no, I don't think most people would object to. If, you know, you know what I mean, because you can just you can follow the certain patterns of music, and you do chord progressions, you do you know something with harmony, you've got a nice melody, and that's a song. Yeah, and those well, and those instruments are more or less guiding you know. Yeah. You to do that, and the sound design's already all done, you know, because these mm-hmm. are all presets in a polymog that have been sampled. Mm-hmm. But so that's really easy. But when you're doing this stuff with the Bukla or any modular for that matter, you know, you're, and you you know, this exactly designing all the sounds yourself and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're putting so much time and effort into making it sound the way you want to. And with the 272E, there were times when I was working on a track and then the program that I was working with, it was over. Like, let's say it was, you know, some, I don't know, country and Western retrospective on KEXP. And I'm counting on that country and Western music for this track. But that <laughs> yeah. show ended. I don't have it anymore. So I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't continue with that, with that approach. I had to either wait a week for, <laughs> for it to come <laughs> back on or give up, which is kind of the cool thing about it, you know, but th- like if I'm making a polymog sound, I don't have to wait a week for a polymog patch to be available again. <laughs> no, you're yeah, no, with this like you're riding the wave, like it's it's random. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it <laughs> so is. It, is. it definitely has that you know, bukla ethos of using random and um yeah, I don't know. I always think I guess that's, you know, part of what draws me to Bukla too. It's like, yeah, just let some stuff, you know, that's what's great. It's like you can micromanage a ton of things, but then you can also let it do what it wants to do. Yeah. 
I I love how Buchla sends me down paths that have nothing to do with music in a really positive way. I mean, for example, with the 272E, I've been listening to a lot of John Cage. You know, we talk Mm -hmm. about it in the segment, radio music and so on. And John Cage talked about leaving things to chance. So I was reading a like a work of philosophy from the University of, I think, Delaware about the difference between chance, uncertainty, and probability and random, like those four concepts mm-hmm. and how they differ. And so the, I was thinking to myself, would John Cage think of this as random? Would Don Buchla say this is uncertainty? Because randomness and uncertainty are two different concepts. And leaving something to chance means you are uncertain but it's not necessarily random when you roll a die because there are only six outcomes, so on and so forth. Well, I'm a, I'm a nerd about that stuff, so <laughs> I'm not embarrassed to mention all, but I, I read like for two hours this really deep work of philosophy that explored these concepts. And I thought, this is, you know, this is really neat. I wouldn't have done this if I wasn't working on a 272E patch. Does it make you now like need a source of probability module? And like, well, we have that sorts of chaos. And... It's in the it's in the stored random source section of the two sixty six e, which I finally understand now after reading. It. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that in the very first episode of this show, and I was like, I I still don't quite get it. And then I read that paper, like last week, about probability, and oh, okay, now I get it. Now I know how to use it. <laughs> It sounds like we might need to, yeah, do a, a featured module, module uh, revisit. We do, and, and we need to get a 265. Someone loan, offered to loan us a 265, and we should do that. We should, for our 24th episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much uncertainty. Drast, drastic uncertainty. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, yeah, we'll get more into the album next month um but for this month uh we have an awesome guest uh we've got benj on the show yeah cool guy uh we had a great time talking with him and uh i do have to say unfortunately um there was like some sort of audio issue um that was kind of coming through in his recording um so yeah, you're gonna hear this yeah. kind of sweeping uh, distortion <laughs> very frequently. Unfortunately, I we couldn't figure it out when when we had him on, and and but you know we we went with it. Hopefully, it'll kind of um, subside in the back of your minds when listening, because otherwise, it's you know he's a he's a great dude. He's a he's a fun chat. Yeah, um, it was we. I I feel like we became friends. Which yeah, really, <laughs> it's so charming. Hey, we're all like, you know, we're all like, yeah, booking flights and stuff. Gonna yeah, go, uh, want to. go, go hang out at his uh, house with the uh, Rogan knobs as light switches. Yeah, or no, no Davies. We're Dave, that's Davies. right. We're gonna we're gonna swap them out to. Yeah, we're gonna swap them out to Rogan's. Yeah, and Falk uh, is right there in the UK, so I'll just swing by there and <laughs> pick them up. There you go. That's some thinking, man. <laughs> Right on. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah, we're gonna listen to Robert dig into the uh, polyphonic tuner, and then we'll talk to Bench. 
1951, John Cage composed Imaginary Landscape No. 4 for 12 radios. The composition was intended to be performed by 24 people, with two people per radio. One person controlled the tuner, the other person controlled the amplitude and timbre. Each time the performance occurred, the experience was entirely different because John Cage was leaving the musicality and the, the sound up to chance. Whatever was played on the radio at the time that the composition was performed is what the audience heard. So if you went to two different performances, you would hear something entirely different, even if they were just 10 minutes apart. And that uncertainty, that leaving things to chance, certainly appealed to Don Buchla. And the polyphonic tuner model 272E is sort of the embodiment of how we can use radio to make music, radio music. It's a source of sounds and noise and all kinds of things that you can, that we can use in our music in interesting ways. And I really, really like this module. It's quirky and weird and kind of funny and has a lot of great ideas. I like to think of it, it's kind of me in module form. I'm a 272E. And it's kind of just at a very high level, let me explain what it looks like and what it does. So first, let's start with the name, Polyphonic Tuner. Well, Tuner refers to the four FM broadcast radio tuners in the module with ranges from 87.5 megahertz to 108 megahertz, which is approximately the broadcast radio frequency range for every country in the world except Japan and Russia. You can tune individual radio stations with the tuner, and they're digital tuners, so they're locked into the frequencies, 88.5, 88.6. Contrast that with the analog tuners that John Cage used, where you turned a knob and it moved a physical tuner through the frequency ranges, and you can get frequencies between the, um, the normal broadcast radio frequencies. So it's the noise between the stations, which is really interesting. But I don't think those analog chips are available anymore. So the tuners are digital in nature, which is perfectly fine. The polyphonic bit refers to a built-in attack and decay envelope with a sustain button that will play each of the four tuners as a voice. So a four voice polyphonic thing where you send a pulse and it will fire the envelope and play the four radios. And I'll give a demonstration of that in a little bit. There are 20 slots for the entire module that you assigned radio stations to. Slots are basically presets. In the old days, a, a car radio would have these little push buttons, and when you press the buttons, they would move the tuner to the frequency for the station that, that you had set in it. And those buttons were called slots. So this module calls them slots, and they're basically they're just presets, just like you would find in your car. When you use the module, you can go through the frequency range, sweeping through the frequencies, bring up a frequency with a specific control voltage, or you can sweep through the slots and bring up a slot with a specific control voltage. Each of the tuners has a pulse input and a CV input with a button that has three modes, sample and hold, advance, and kind of free. The third mode, the light's turned off, and with the S-control voltage, will sweep through the frequencies. So with the sample and hold, it will sample, every time it receives a pulse, it will sample the incoming voltage and 
choose the radio station that matches that voltage with a slot. And with it on advance, every time it receives a pulse, it will move the, um, the tuners through the, the slots. So there are 20 slots. Each slot is addressable with 0.5 volts. So in a zero to 10 volt system. So pretty straightforward to use. Like with the 223E, it's really easy to call up a slot with a specific voltage. So let me just patch together something here. So this is just on 94.4. It's just uh, here in the Seattle area is just kind of noise. Now, the important thing to point out, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's Christmas Eve, 2020. And I live in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, which is about 45 minutes east of Seattle. I'm at a higher elevation. Seattle has a ton of radio stations and I get pretty good reception here with the powered antenna that's included with the 272E. There's a little box, a little breakout box that connects to the back of your boat and then the powered antenna with a pretty decently long cable. Um, I have it mounted up near the ceiling. So I get a lot of radio stations here. Your mileage may vary, but that's what makes the 272E really cool. You would never be able to compose exactly what I compose unless you started it at exactly the same time with the same stations here in the Seattle area. So that's kind of neat. So here's some noise. Now that noise on itself is kind of cool. We'll switch the channels here. The it, It's different noise than what you would hear from say the 266E because you can change the stations or change the frequency to the frequencies between the stations and get all kinds of different noise based on the proximity of, of a broadcast radio station near that frequency. So I'm gonna take this output into the 297 infinite phase shifter. So similarly to what I could do with the 266E, it's a really neat effect. But as I change the frequency on the uh, 272E, we'll get some different noises, maybe even some stations. So that's static. It's not quite flat or plus 3 dB or minus 3 dB, you know, pink, white, or brown noise or whatever. You're finding two, six, something a little different. There's some talking. There's a station. That's, that's nice and crackly. So the, as a noise source, the 272E is fantastic. You can use that noise for percussion, for modulation, for all kinds of things. It's, it's great as just an extra noise source. And I like to send it through the, fil the two, uh, 291E filter and have two different noise sources, one going into, or two different stations um, going into A and B and then move through the frequency slightly to add some noise. So, you know, let's try that. Let's take the, oh, I should point out too that the um, 272E for each of the channels, or each of the tuners, it has an A, um, an L output and an R output. But those outputs are not stereo. They are individual mono outputs. I think that maybe when they originally devised this module, they intended for the FM stations to be output in stereo, but unfortunately they're just not. So I've patched the 272E into the 291E, and 
What I'm going to do is take a different station for the right channel. Choose a different noise source here. There we go, slightly different. And now as I change the frequency for input A, and then do the same for B, the 291A frequency. So kind of sculpted those sounds slightly, and because they're different types of noise than you find in the 266E, you're just going to get completely different results from the 291E. And I like to use these as modulation, you know, percussion, like I was saying, and sometimes just noise that is um, being sent into like the 297 with the nice frequent with the nice uh, phase shifting, and then using like a delay or an interesting reverb to add a ton of depth to that where it starts to sound like there's actually maybe music in there. So speaking of music, let's check out the polyphonic facility. So I'll patch L to channel A and R to channel B. And to make the polyphonic facility work, all we need is a pulse coming out of any really any pulse source. So I'll use a channel of the 281E. And that goes into the pulse input on the polyphonic facility. And I'm gonna set each of the tuners to advance instead of sample and hold. And we'll start that 281E and see what happens. Slow it down. So the polyphonic facility envelope is fired pretty quick by the 281E. And in the attack phase, it just, this is with the attack all the way counterclockwise and the decay all the way counterclockwise. So I'll turn the decay up. So the decay is at about like 10 o'clock. And it loads each station, it loads the slot from each station, and then applies the envelope to the, to the, basically that A, B, C, D, and moves the stations out of the, out of the four, um, each of the four things. So it basically is playing like a slot on B, a slot on C, and a slot on D, but at different times. So the idea here is that you get this four voice thing that um, you could, uh, I had to sit with a, just a with static pulse, it's not that interesting. But if your pulse sources were less, you know, re repetitive and less rhythmic like this, then you could do some way more interesting things. So I'll take that pulse out and put it in my 223E. Now I'm tapping it here. Turn the decay up. Skin and body solution. An ability to beauty. The feminine. If you uh, use something like, let's say that the 223E and you have it um, using location, 
you could use like a fire pulse, use the location to the CV input to modulate the attack and decay. I'm going to turn on sustain. So with the sustain on, it will play until I let go of the pulse, It'll, as long as the pulse is held. Care and with that care comes over. Kind of neat. So that's the polyphonic facility. Um, I don't use that as much um, with mine with my 272e. I will instead like to take the individual tuners and can put them under voltage control in different ways and then use um, just different modules to make that really interesting. So I'll, I'll show you what I mean. I'm gonna take three the three outputs. I'll do B, C, and D, and they're going into um, the first three channels of the 292E. So I'm gonna use the 251E. Um, it's going to let me turn down the 292E because I want to use pulses with this. Um, and so what will happen is each of the channels, each of the um, sequencers on the 251E has a two-stage sequence with a pulse on each one, but the timing of the stages are different. The first one's 120 BPM, the second is 116, and the third is 112. I will set the 272E to slot mode so it'll cycle through the slots and I'll start them on, I'll put it on zero. So this will, there's no modulation of the 272E right now, it's just on slot zero. So we'll, when I hit, when I start the pulse, it will, um, well I'll let you hear what happens. Turn that up a bit. So it's a little clue. Now if I turn up the decay times a bit on the 281E so that they're held a little bit longer, I'll start it again. Wherever you're listening and whenever you're listening, I'm glad you chose to join us here at Midday Jazz. So now on the 272E, I'm just gonna change slot for uh, slot one. I'll change to slot one on tuner C and slot four opportunity. So the timing of them is, is slightly different. I'll make it fast. So I'm going to put all four to, or all three slots to four. Slow that down. And then I'm going to restart the sequence. So they're slightly out of phase. Um, going, one's going to the left channel, uh, two's going to the right channel, and then three's going to the sum to mono, sum to center, I should say. So that's the 251E with the 272E's modulation. So let's try out 
bring these Christmas things up. Yeah, me too. Willie Nelson's great. So I'm going to change the three tuners to frequency mode and take the output of the uh, 270 or the 223E, and I put I just programmed in some control voltages here. And as I tap on each of the keys, which is programmed into a, a specific voltage, it will change to the frequency that matches those stations and, or those uh, voltages. So I'm going to do the same thing, but switch to slots. And now the voltages call, call up the specific slots. So if I take the pulse, output and send that to channels A and B of the um, 281E, which matches those, that's where those two um, slots are going to. Let me just patch that real quick. Okay, so I have the 223E patched into the, uh, the CV patched into the 272E and the pulse outputs patched into the first two channels of the 281E, which are going in the 292E. And I have the, um, the tax and decay set, decay set pretty much close to the same for the two. So now when I press a key on the 223, It selects the slot. Now if I tap really quick. Slow that down a bit. So it sounds like I'm rapidly turning the tuner knob. But it's just a it's just the CV value from the um, the 223E, which is different from sending a pulse to it because while I have them the voltages set to sequentially go through the like this, just going from uh, zero to ten, the depending on which key I press, it's the amount of voltage to select that slot. So right now it's selected ten, I'll select zero, and I'll select eight, seven, two. Let me turn that up a bit so that, so here is two, seven. So let's play with that in the delay. Let's see if we can get something interesting because the 272E will go directly into the two or into the DSD instead of coming through the 292E first. So because I'm controlling the 272E with the 223 and the radio station has that, or the tuner has this little click sound because it's a very fast 
uh, envelope, like envelope kind of thing coming in. It's just loading that CV really quick. It'll give uh, the kind of timing that we need for the DSD. So I'm just alternating between two keys, two stations. I could do that with the sequencer, of course, you know, for something more rhythmic, but with the 223, it can be slightly more random. Kind of like in a movie when somebody's having a memory of, of something, you know, in kind of a, a weird state. <laughs> So let's take that output now from the delay and we'll go into the SMP. And we'll take the, just the SMP output. Now this is a little unpredictable because the SMP does not have a preset, so <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen in here. But this is coming from the 272E to the digital stereo delay from 1979 then into the stereo microsound processor from 1979 and then into the 292e and then out to the the uh, 227e distortion in there. Turn the reverb all the way up. Turn the mix up a bit, a little bit of feedback. Slow down the delay. <laughs> That's 
wild. Another thing I like to do, um, just for fun, is send NPR or talk radio into the balanced modulator, the 285E, with it in ring modulated mode because it's uh, like a Dalek. <laughs> just well, that's exactly how they did the Dalek sound in, in Doctor Who. That's that's really fun. So I, I think that the possibilities here are, are endless. I mean, this these are patches that I just kind of made up while I was recording this. Um, but, you know, if you put some, some thought into how you could use the pulses and CV for each of the tuners to get some unpredictable sounds and then process those in interesting ways, uh, have them kind of augment the waveform generators like the 259E and the 261E. Depending on the tuning of your 259E and 261E, you can get some really nice harmonics, some really nice harmonically rich um, sounds, which then you can filter or just output and put through a delay with a reverb or, or you know something interesting in your DAW or through a pedal. And the possibilities are really endless. So while in this example for the segment, I've really only focused on the 272E itself because I wanted to kind of walk through the different um, ways that you can use it and deal with it sounds and so on. When you meld it in with the rest of your system, then it can be really, really powerful and unique and out of flair to your to your music in very, very fascinating ways. So that's the 272E in a nutshell. Again, one of my favorite modules. I just want to throw out a quick thank you to Charles Seeholzer, who originally kind of introduced me to the 272E and uh, made a nice video about how he uses it and that inspired me to get one, and, um, and now it's essential in my system. I Every now and then think about removing it to, to make space for something, but because it's so situational, but man, it, it's just, it's classic. It's very, very Don. It, it, it's like the, one of the most Don Buchla modules that I have in my Buchla system, which is really funny, but it, it just is like, there's a vision in that that uh, comes out every time I play with it. So that's the 272E. Today on the show, we have Benj. Benj, how's it going? Good. Pretty good, thanks. How are you? Good. Doing well. Yeah. We uh, we just, well, we survived the first portion of a big election over here. So. <laughs> really? Oh, we hadn't yeah, had a, I don't know uh, if you, that didn't... comes across over there. Or... <laughs> well, I, I did hear something about that, yeah. You had a kind of pretty lousy choice of candidates, didn't you? <laughs> 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 Some would say that, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's like when you've reached the, you know, you've reached rock bottom. Like, yeah, any, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's anything, funny, you know, anything is an angel when you look up. You know, like it's funny how we, we say that every single election. Like the first yeah. election I remember I voted in was in '96, Clinton Dole. Wow, and it was okay. the same thing. Like, oh man, you know, two of the best and two of the worst of two. I'm like, oh, we yeah. ever. You know, when you have two people, you're never going to have, you know, one that's... Look at the three of us. You got three choices now. So you have a, <laughs> like a 66% chance of yeah. choosing the wrong... The wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dire, actually, but good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, that was Pod Save America. Um, <laughs> but... We'll, uh, make, we'll make it. Yeah. So, okay. So... Um, you know, it's you've been making albums since '95. Yeah, '95. Yep. 
It seems a long while, 25 years. Um, that's a that's a career, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a huge chunk of albums too that I, I mean like just scrolling through your discography. Um I guess what yeah, take us back to like that time and were you like I guess and, and when you kind of first got into synthesizers? Well, I mean I I kind of go back a long way really cuz um when I was kind of little, you know, probably about eight or something i was really mm-hmm. fascinated by them then because we we had um well my parents ran a, a sort of little school and uh, it had a kind of music room and it was the sort of mid-70s and i was uh i'd just sort of play in the music room in the evenings and they had like mm-hmm. this crazy little modular synth that um you know someone built for the school yeah. it had sort of banana patching on it and um you know, a selection of it was it was kind of like a sort of mini mini surge modular. I didn't know oh, wow. what, what a surge modular was at the time. I just knew there was this crazy box with like wires in it, and I played around on that all the time. Uh, had a sort of electric organ in there, and a, a four track mm-hmm. sort of recorder, and I, I kind of grew up with that stuff. So, you know, it was always around. I was always around that sort of thing. Um. And then when I kind of got a bit older, I, I sort of got into playing drums. It's weird how a lot of sort of electronic musicians start off on drums, but um, I guess I, I yeah. got into bands and stuff that, that way. And uh, and then eventually just got sick of lugging the drums around, you know, so I just kind of set up a mini, uh, my own little studio in my, in my first house that I bought. And, um, and they sort of grew from there, really. Gotcha. I wonder why that is with with drummers. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's I think it's frustration. You know, you're kind of in a band and hearing all this amazing music going on, and all you're doing is kind of like playing a rhythm and thinking, mm-hmm. "Wow, I wish I could, I could sort of improve on that that melody or something." But um, no, well, that's what it was like for me. I kind of knew that I could I could sort of do more than just sort of hold down a rhythm. Yeah. And I guess without like, I mean, that's kind of what's nice about uh, synthesizers and stuff. Like it's, uh, it's not always about dexterity. I mean, if you become like a very good piano player. Uh, um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm terrible. You know. I'm a one one finger one finger synthesizer. <laughs> exactly, and so that's why I guess that maybe that's what makes because uh, with a synthesizer, one finger is kind of sometimes all you need. Yeah. Um, just, once just, you got a once you got a good sound patched up, so oh yeah, spoken just like a true guitarist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the, and you already got your rhythms down, you know. So you yeah. know where you want to go with with that. So I guess it can. Yeah, makes sense there. So that's kind of how I got, but it, it got me into the kind of. Um, I was always in lots of different bands, and I kind of still do that a bit. I'm kind of, I'm in a lot of different bands even now, sort of thing. But not playing drums, but you know, doing mm-hmm. production and stuff. But um, that's when when I was kind of starting out. I was in about five different bands. I, you know, none of them any good, probably. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it sort of. It was a, a lot of work, you know, being in lots of bands, driving around to gigs, driving around to rehearsals. Because mm-hmm. I had a drum kit, I'd have the car, so everyone would just kind of like try and get lifts off me and, I'd, you know, they'd all be drunk and I wouldn't. 
It's a nightmare. <laughs> well, you survived and probably helped a few other people survive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a survivor. <laughs> a drumming survivor. It's, so, <laughs> so then when did, um, I guess, so I get what, what kind of were, were like the first synthesizers or modular stuff that, how did that kind of enter your life after, I guess, the, the old schoolhouse yeah, uh, um, system? Well, when I first set up a little studio, I had, um, I think my first synth was a Moog Prodigy, which Ooh. I bought from like a secondhand shop for like 20 quid or something. But then mm -hmm. I think my second actual synth was a, a VCS3, which I got in like 1990 or something, really cheap. Well, I say really cheap. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, it was quite a lot for me at the time, but, you know, it was, it was cheap mm -hmm. compared to now. Um, yeah, yeah. So that got me into that into that kind of strange world of like patching and and not just relying on presets, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So, and then I got, I just got really interested in the the whole process of recording. It wasn't just synthesizers; it was you know the whole process of recording with with effects and processing, multi-tracking. Um, drum machines, you know, anything sort of electronic and unusual was kind of what I was into. Um, mm -hmm. And I just became completely obsessed with it, really. <laughs> I, I had this little house that my first house I bought was a tiny little house. It just had one one room upstairs and sort of one main room downstairs. And I built my studio in, in there in the, in the house and it kind of took over the, the whole house for like 10 years or something. It just kept growing. Um, mm hmm so, yeah, I mean, in, I think I got my first, well, I got my Moog modular in 1995. So that, and by then I kind of got quite a lot of stuff. I'd got a, a, like a um, a two inch, no, a one inch uh, eight track machine. Mm -hmm. I might be a two inch eight. It was a huge thing, anyway, a scully. And then, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was into samplers. I, I'd kind of got an, um emu emulator pretty early on oh, you nice. know in, in the because actually that that time in the early 90s was just like amazing because you people were literally throwing gear away they just didn't yeah. want big gear it's when you know um synths had gone into the box sort of thing they were all kind of workstations with you know one synth would do everything basically so people were, were chucking out stuff or selling it off really cheap. Um, it was it was like the golden age for me because you you could I, I picked up so much amazing stuff then, uh, you know. Yeah. For nothing. Yeah, I There's know, and it's like I I feel like I always hear about that that golden age that that early nineties where people are just yeah yeah all the all the colleges and stuff are getting rid of oh yeah systems yeah and... I got some great stuff from colleges actually I got my my MS20 and MS50 from there, and that's the Korg mm. modular stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know that it it was kind of because I I was always amazed that people weren't into this stuff. You know they were kind of getting rid of this beautiful equipment that to me just sounded and looked like ten times more interesting than anything that was modern. You know at the time. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But then then it kind of grabbed. 
Sorry? We, we talked about that in, a, in an episode a while back, just about how in the 90s um, there was a kind of a rejection. I guess it's the introduction of postmodernism. Um, but there was a rejection <laughs> of what was regarded as current in the 70s was, you know, passe by the 90s and was a stepping stone to, to the real capability of digital. Yeah. So there's like a, an outright rejection of, of everything that was old because it was um, something we had to endure in order to have the present. And yeah. I think that, that philosophy was baked in in the 90s. I remember I remember passing on the Jupiter 8 because it had oh, all wow. those crazy colors. And I thought, this looks ridiculous. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. That's a really bad re- – that's a terrible reason to not get a Jupiter. Well, I was young and dumb, and I wanted a, a digital synth that could, you know, save on a floppy disk. Yeah, yeah. The thing that's interesting to me is that the um, those those instruments still well, they do sound amazing. The um, the analog stuff, but what's nice is that when you record them with sort of modern, pristine sort of digital recordings, you, you kind of capture something that that you didn't used to be able to capture back in the day, I guess, when they were invented. So they they sort of sound even better than when they were first made. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Just because, yeah, because the, the recording process has gotten cleaner. And stuff. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. It's kind yeah. of like how when you watch an old movie that's been like even from the 50s, that has been remastered in HD from the film. Yeah. It looks mm-hmm. better than it ever did. Yes. Other than like on a really high quality projector. Yeah. People are like, how is that possible? How could it look better on my TV now than it ever did in the theater? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the definition is, is so amazing now, but I suppose the instrument design isn't the same now. Although there, there's some amazing products obviously nowadays, but you know, in the two thousands that the sort of the actual analog gear hadn't kind of caught up with the, um, the older stuff, I don't think, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the first, like... gen, the first generation of virtual synths just didn't really, to me, just didn't really sound right. They, they kind of mm-hmm. lacked, lacked something. But I guess now they're, they're kind of catching up again. Yeah, I feel like the, I mean, I think in like yeah the. the the early 2000s like that was the whole odd or you know analog versus digital even in like recording like some people um you know still wanting to get stuff down on tape and yeah and, yeah. you know things that couldn't be emulated yet but now i i think definitely within the past five years um <laughs> there's just not that much of an argument it's it's really down yeah. to romanticism and nostalgia yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly um, which is like I'm, you know, I'm still okay for that because it's like it still sounds <laughs> the old stuff still sounds good, and if it's you know if if that's the yeah. reason that's going to get you to actually use it and play it or whatever you know then go for it. So yeah, I mean, there's another thing is that the way you kind of interact with some of the older gear, like for example, mixing desks. You know, they you, you kind of do you, you work with a mixing desk, an analog mixing desk, very differently to how you do like in the box because you, you kind of you can't keep going back and and tweaking a track you kind of have to commit to it on the day mm-hmm. and that that makes you think about the mix very differently 
Yeah. Yeah. You got to, yeah, make your decision in the moment instead of yeah. like, well, I think I'll get back to that later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and that's the same with synths, you know, you kind of, well, with modular stuff, you kind of know you'll never really get that sound again unless you kind of put it down on tape right there and then sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you much more present in the moment, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so you got the, the Moog stuff in 95. When did uh, Bukla enter the picture? Um, it entered right at the beginning, but I just couldn't afford it. Like I, I kind of knew, <laughs> I knew about it and longed after it for, um, well, forever really. Cause it, I had this book, which uh, I got from the library back when I was kind of around that time in the sort of early nineties, it's called, um, do you know the book, uh, Hubert S. Howe wrote a book called, um, electronic musical instruments or something. And it's got these pictures of like the Bukula, big curvy case Bukula, you know, the, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the early 200 system, I guess it was. And, and basically that was like, to me, the ultimate synth I'd ever seen in my life. It was just, you know, perfection. So <laughs> that's when I kind of knew that uh, one day, you know, one day I would sort of be mm -hmm. there. <laughs> um, oh, yes, it will be mine. <laughs> <Wayne's> <laughs> <role. Yeah. laughs> so, so right from the beginning, I kind of, I knew, I knew about Bukla. I knew what it meant. I knew what the music was. I, I loved Morton Subutnik stuff. I loved listening to anything with a bukla on it, you know, which is actually there isn't that much. Well, back then, you know, before the sort of yeah internet kind of took over, you, it was very hard to get to listen to that sort of music. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think that I had I had um, Silver Apples on vinyl, and I think the Wild mm -hmm. Bull, and you know they got played all the time. I loved them so much. Um, so my actual first proper kind of getting hold of a bukla was I'd never played one until I bought one basically, which was yeah. in 2011. I think that's gotta be most people's yeah. Yeah. That situation, you know, yeah, I think so. It was mine, you know, yeah. you're just like, here, here, take all my money and my yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm going to like it. Yeah. Which is quite a big risk to take actually. And I'm, I'm not sure it, worked out that well for me at the beginning because i i didn't really get on with the 200e actually i kind mm. of I, I got a small well what happened was I, I kind of got in touch with don he was still you know running things back then 2011 mm. and um i decided i wanted to go and meet him and you know pick it up in person and sort of pay him in person that sort of thing so i kind of yeah, um, get, the, get the full experience like yeah, and go. I'd, I'd never been to um, California before, and I wanted to visit. Uh, I'd always wanted to go to California, um, mm -hmm. so I kind of decided to make a trip of it. And I went out there. I met up with him. I'd spoken to him quite a lot on the phone beforehand, just sort of organising things. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of had a bit of an introduction. I knew I knew what to expect, sort of thing. <laughs> and um he didn't disappoint at all <laughs> um so yeah i mean you know when you spoke to him on the phone it'd be like you'd ask him something and there'd be a really really long pause you know and then he'd say one word and it'd be but the thing is it would always, it would be an amazing word you know it was always perfect but um so yeah i went out to i went out to 
delete him and um like for example I think what happened was like I kind of um I'd sort of made the all the arrangements. I said, right, I want to come and um pick it up and he was like, Yeah, sure, come and get it. I was like, Well, and can you give me the address? And he told me the name of the road. And I said, What number is it? He said, um there's sort of long pause and he said, um, you'll know when you get here. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> So you're you're heading to California <laughs> with yeah. the name of a road. Yeah, exactly. And I got to the road and I sort of drove down it and it's like a, a kind of very suburban, lovely sort of street in in Berkeley somewhere. And um there's this mm-hmm. one house with like completely covered in plants and ivy, just like ridiculously. And I figured that that must be it. So I kind of, uh, and it was that. And, and I went there and he was there on his own that day. Cause I guess sometimes mm. there were like quite a lot of people around, but he was just there on his own sort of in, sitting in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of, you know, picked up the stuff and got the money. He, he wanted paying in cash. I don't know why he, he just sort of, I had to. I didn't know that he wanted paying in cash. I don't know why. I sort of assumed I could sort of transfer it somehow, but mm-hmm. I, he, he said no. I want the cash, so I kind of had to go and find a bank <laughs> and get out all this, <laughs> get out all this money. And, a um, lot of money too. It was quite a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I actually only got. I think I got four, four modules from him that, at that point. Hmm. Um. And. And so I was sort of staying in, I think I was there for like a week or something, just uh, in Berkeley, staying in a hotel. And he was like, oh, you could, you're you not going to be able to try these out unless I give you a power supply. So, because I'd actually got organized it back home, like a, a, a cabinet for it, but I hadn't got that oh, yet. Okay. So I wasn't buying a cabinet. I just literally bought the modules. So he kind of said, I'll lend, I'll lend you a, a little boat. So he lent me a little sort of five or what is it? A, a six sort of size cabinet boat mm-hmm. and um i sort of took them all home took them all back to the hotel and just like wigged out on them for three days <laughs> it's very cool but so that was yeah that was my first sort of go on a bukla and uh i built up a system over the next sort of few months i got i guess a 18 size cabinet mm-hmm. filled up just the standard modules. I had a couple of nice modules that, um, cause I actually ended up selling them all <laughs> um, oh, man. over, over the next kind of year or so. I, I kind of, I didn't really get on with it for some reason. I didn't like the, um, memory system on it. Just didn't mm. suit my way of working. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the tone. I didn't like the sound of it. It didn't really do it for me. I think it's cause I was, used to listening to all those early Bukula records, which were all, you know, on the um, 100 or early 200 systems. Yeah. And they did sound totally different. And it, it, it just wasn't for me, basically. So anyway, I kind of, I ended up sort of trading most of it and selling the 200E stuff. And I put together a different system. <laughs> but there, there were a couple of really interesting modules that um, I wish I hadn't got rid of. Oh, like what? Um, it was there's one that was a hang on, let me I'll list here somewhere. Um, the two five five. Oh yeah, which the is eight like channels an, of sleep yeah, processing. Yeah, that that thing was really cool. 
and it wasn't actually an E module. It was just like right. analog. Um, so I don't think I, I haven't seen any of those going for years. I don't know what's happening. No, they're, they're pretty rare. Yeah, and then. Um. But Studio H, um, Doug over there, he's got, he's made a you know modified version of that, which oh okay, um, which actually it's funny because it it does bring in um like the um patch saving capabilities yeah it's but, a module but um yeah but he also it's like a, he like extended the range of the um yeah of the actual slew on it ah, okay um, it, I it's think all it, analog like, yeah so it you can right. actually run like, it sounds like you can run pulses into it and yeah. then um you know make envelopes from it like uh, turn yeah. up the decay and yeah it, it's pretty it's really really cool uh that sounds and, good yeah i want to get one what else did you like in your system um so i've got a couple of um verbos sort of not clones oh, but the yeah. sort of his earliest sort of ones like the um there's a two five eight, which was really really cool. Yeah, that was the um, it's like a sort of. Hang on, that, yeah, that's the uh, sorry, the, the harmonic oscillator. What? Oh that yeah, was? with the um, all the different sine waves. Yeah, the that, I had yeah. one of those, and oh, um, the way that sounds. That's really cool, but I did sell that eventually. But um, I also his weird delay thing, the two eight eight. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even. Module. I don't even think that ever worked, I, or it, it never really sounded right to me. That thing, but <laughs> I'm chuckling. Um, yeah, that thing is that thing is bonkers. Yeah. I, I got to, <laughs> crazy. I got to play with one at EMS in Stockholm, and an original one. No, one of one of Verbos's. Yeah. Um, okay. And it mostly worked, or whatever it was doing, I was, yeah. I was into it. Like, a couple channels were shorted out or something, but... That sounds like... It's probably my one that you were using. Could have been. <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> um, it's... I think it... Uh, the... Fact... is it Was it Fact Magazine? You've got, like, a string of, of videos on YouTube... Um, Oh yeah, uh, the going the through years. Yeah, fact interviewed him, and he oh, did. Yeah, yeah. Those um, were cool. and you and you showed off your Buchland. It was the two hundred E. Yeah, that that's, that's that's right. I I actually only had it for about a year, so they came around that at that point. Yeah, kind but of, the, okay, yeah. So, and you had like a you had a one hundred series oscillator in there. Um, uh, it's like I. I think I got I yes, I did. I did. I got a um a one four four. I think. Hmm. I think I got yeah, that. I thought... Yeah, I got that somewhere like secondhand. Um, that was an original one. That I got. Very cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, I can't remember where I got that, but that was the first one hundred that I got. And actually, that's why I kind of knew that I wanted to go towards the one hundred because I got that oscillation. And just thought, wow, this thing just sounds incredible. It's exactly what. You know, I like all the functionality of the 200, but I just didn't like the tone of it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, basically the 100 is really what I, what I need. Something. So I kind of lucked out a bit on the 100. Actually, I did end up getting an amazing system. Um, about a year after that, in 2012, I got I got this um, a really really nice little. It's a, how many modules? It's one. It's a ten modules plus a keyboard. 
plus the one one two keyboard. Oh, cool. Um, and it came from it. It basically was some. It was a system put together in the sixties, and it hadn't been messed with, sort of thing. So. Oh wow. It's green. It's got sort of green ink, and it's all like amazing. Oh yeah, that's a early one. That where do you know it's like lineage, like or it's yeah, like where it came I, from? It, it it was um, I think originally there's a guy called Gene Youngblood. Hmm. Have you heard of him? He's like a sort no. of crazy '60s sort of filmmaker guy, I think. And um, oh, wow. there's some footage of him interviewing George Lucas in like 1970 or something on oh, wow. on YouTube, and he had it, and he had a couple of other book of pieces, I think. And then um, he sold it to a company that at this sort of um, place called the Hang on, what's it called? I got one. It's basically the Electronic Television Center, which is like an experimental TV place that was in the in the seventies. And the guy bought bought it off him, and he had a huge studio full of like gear that he'd collected over the years, including my my one hundred. And um, and then someone bought. Like, I think that guy sold off his whole collection in one lump to um to switch on Austin. You know the shop? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh I I got it through them just that but uh, I mean he had all all the stuff that this guy had sold him, including like wow. an ARP twenty twenty five hundred, a mood modular, a, wow. you know, like loaded EMS stuff. Um plus all this amazing video equipment, you know, like early experimental sort of video gear, which I'm kind of into as well a bit, or getting more mm. into sort of thing. But um mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's that's where my system came from. So um, have you? Oh, go ahead, Robert. Oh, well, I was wondering something I've been thinking about, Bench, while you're talking through this, and I love your Twenty Systems album. Oh, I think it's you. the first thing that of yours that I listened to, um, right. and it's cool, you know, because you can put it on, and it might as well be twenty different albums, you know, because <laughs> they're all. But the the thing that's like really standing out to me is as, as we chat is. You know the you you have such a diverse background and interest, not just in synthesizers, but in your music that you make on them. So when you right. started to look at getting a bootleg, and you, know, you met with Don and 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 journeying into one hundred, did it feel like a big departure from what you had been really doing since you know nineteen ninety five and even before that, or was it going back to that surge that was? in your parents' school and kind of like, how did that, you know what I mean? How did that sort yeah. of fit in there? To be honest, it felt, it felt right because the, the kind of bookla approach is, is really kind of something that, you know, it's kind of unconventional. It's very sort of esoteric and, but at the same time, extremely wide ranging. It kind of, you can pretty much do anything with it. it so it's not very, you know, it's very open, the system. And it mm-hmm. kind of really suited what the, the way I kind of like working with instruments. So it felt very natural to to go towards it. And also, it had the the one hundred has that kind of raw, very raw sort of organic sound that I I've always really liked. I mean, it it does sound like a um, it it sounds as powerful as like you know the, the early Moog modules or yeah. Or even the Art Twenty Five Hundred, they they all have that kind of richness. I think it's possibly because they were sort of discrete circuits. I don't I don't really know why, but they 
there's no chips in them they're all kind of discrete um circuitry so they they sound powerful and really you know varied you can really sort of push them to the limits so i i mean obviously when i made 20 systems i didn't didn't have a bookla but it, it would have been on there if i had it but um <laughs> you know it's um it uh, as i said before it's an instrument that i always knew that i wanted to get into i just could never afford it sort of thing i mean now it's just amazing because you can buy you know there's even a sort of second hand market for for the sort of cloned modules that Mm-hmm. That is so exciting if you're into them. Yeah, I I am. <laughs> that's that second hand market has uh, helped me out a few times for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely has. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess to. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of going into this now. So you're saying that I guess it's you know it's a bit open but you had a um you have a pretty large surge system too correct yeah yeah i I got that a long while ago i got most of that back in the um probably early 2000s oh wow when ebay just just started really right at the beginning of ebay it was amazing back then because you know but i got that they most of that system came from california actually i got it from two different sort of places really um Mm. And I built the cabinet myself for it. Um, but the nice thing about that is it's a very early sort of, you know, they call the paper face ones, which yeah. are, yeah, yeah, cool. I guess, yeah, they were, they were kind of home, homemade really by, by, um, I don't know who made them like students or something. Yeah. I think that's kind of the story probably. Yeah. Maybe while there's still, Surge was at Cal Arts. Yeah, I think they are that era. They're really yeah. early ones. That's very cool. So, um, and again, that 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 system really suits my my way of working as well because that's extremely open as well. In fact, it's even it could even say it's a little even more open ended than Bukla because there's no distinction between audio signals and CV signals. So you could literally just patch anything into anything. Yeah, I mean that's what I, uh, I with this kind of stuff like I I try I have to like put blinders on because <laughs> I'll just you know get lost in some other system or something. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but sensible. yeah, from everything that I I gather, it's just like you know it's it's much more open ended and and stuff different functions are you know are pulled out um, of like what what kind of Don did in his 200 system. Yeah. Cause I think that kind of is a story is like Serge was at Cal arts and was yeah. kind of going through the, the 200 that was there and came up with his own stuff based off of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like, it's it maybe a bit more freeing where Buchla kind of, even though it's very open-ended, it still does have a flow that it kind of wants you to, to, to follow. Um, do you feel that? Like, is it just kind of like, is the more restraint on the bookla better? Um, in your terms of making music, or I don't know if it's better. It's different, and I, I actually yeah. like. I mean, I've, I like um, all the sort of quirks that systems have, and and what makes them. That's what makes them kind of unique, isn't it? it gives them characters. Yeah. That is all the the kind of sum of all their quirks. Um, but. That's a good album title. You should write that down. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean that you have to work around the um the quirks and the kind of foibles, but you mm-hmm. it, they always take you in a direction, like you say, you, you kind of go with the the flow that they present to you, and and I I really like that. I like the kind of way that it it kind of it it's open ended, but it still kind of has a character of its own each each system, and that that's why I like doing the um like on twenty systems or. I do a new series of albums called Forms, which are basically a whole album just on one system. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like that because you get, you know, you 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 can um, confine yourself in in that world of that particular system and that designer that, that created it, and um, and I, I sort of like that. I like having that sort of restriction, but you know, depending on on the system that you're using, it it kind of takes you in certain in a certain sort of direction each time mm-hmm. different direction but yeah and like robert meant yeah well, robert was mentioning about how the 20 systems kind of sounds like it could be 20 different albums and that that definitely yeah. has been the case with that series that you've been doing too yeah um, yeah i just did my last the last one i did actually was was on the my new sort of 200 cloned system or well, not not cloned they call them replicas actually i think now you're not allowed to call them knockoffs also yeah knock- <laughs> <laughs> fake on oh, my fake on oh, my yeah. fake Fug- fugazi yeah, yeah 200 fugazi <laughs> so i did a whole yeah i did my last record my last sort of um forms series which is forms number 11 i think it, it's all done on the 200 and um it's the first time i've really i've actually just finished putting my system together basically last well this this year and it's it's all it's all there it's all in place now and i'm kind of really happy with with all the module selection and um mm-hmm. and i built i built my big curve cabinet finally Ooh. yeah After tell us all, about that yeah so well, it's actually not finished yet i've kind of made it out of um plywood just mm-hmm. sort of as a kind of um prototype really because i i couldn't find anywhere you know the actual templates for the for the side curves yeah, right, for like the big yeah. So mm. it's a it's a it's five boats. It's five boats, yeah, and they're eight. Mm. It's eight. Okay, each boat's eight wide. So yeah, so you're going for that that bigger classic kind of like the one that they have at EMS. I think yeah, that's it's, twelve, isn't it? Wide. Yeah, yeah, so it's not, but it's the, not that but big, the, yeah. but the same um, kind of curve. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wonder how yeah. he worked out his curves on that 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 because he built that cabinet i believe is that right i um daniel it sounded like he had he had somebody else put it together yeah for him but i'm sure he yeah figured that out kind of himself and then had somebody else do it so um, that, yeah that's kind of was what that I, tough like that was I mean, yeah that's great from what i've seen in videos well it, yeah i think i got it pretty good i just don't know if it's exact and that's why i sort of made it out of plywood first i'm gonna get walnut made up for it once once it's all once i'm happy with it but basically yeah it's kind of the the holy grail for me that one although yeah. it's not original i mean that's the other thing that kind of worries me a bit is that the i, I have no idea if the clones sound anything like the um the original 200 series but i don't some, have any two, some of them original. Do. yeah you know the some some folks who've had the real 250 well the, the abukla 259 or 258 yeah, have had I've offered their opinions about 
the sound, the similarities of the, the clones. And I'm no expert. I have an all 200E system for the most part. But yeah. just kind of reading through this stuff, a lot of the commentary is about when the module was built and the um, components that were available at the time and the circuits designs and so on. You know, some are much closer to the original 259 than, you know, some of the later. Yeah. But when I listen to them side by side in an A-B test, I don't know which one is which. Huh, so right. as a consumer yeah. of your music, they sound the same. Yeah. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I got to play it on some at EMS and, you know, like the, the 259. And in yeah. a lot, most of that system is it's original. And yeah. there wasn't anything where I was like blown away. Like in either way, like the oscillators kind of sound like what I expected them to, like w- along with the clone that I had at home. Um, yeah. And all kind of just the functionality of, you know, the 266 or whatever else. Like it did, it performed the way I expected it to. There was no kind of gaps in like, yeah. well, this is completely different. Other than um, their Marf uh, is haunted. But you know. <laughs> I, I listened to your, yeah, I listened to that show and it sounded, I was sort of at that point really glad I had a, a modern one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, it, yeah, I was playing on you know, heavily used <laughs> system. And it was like, oh, wait, like, it's kind of nice. My sliders at home really flow, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're not all grimed up and stuff, yeah. I, you know, but there's there's definitely the charm and character in using that old stuff. But, but yeah, I had the yeah. same kind of feeling that you just mentioned too, of like. I think okay. that's, yeah, that, I guess there's a lot of variation in the original um, quality control back then. I mean, there still is now with, with them, I guess, but I think um, probably some early booklet stuff sounded different to, you know, mid mid sort of range stuff, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it also be, I mean, so you own a music studio and you have a lot of experience with you know, engineering and such, but wouldn't the some of the production techniques used to record the old stuff color the character of the sound such that we couldn't actually reproduce it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just the fact it was going to tape and was, you know, probably had Dolby tape, you know, Dolby noise reduction in there, which definitely adds something to the sound or, yeah, I mean, that exactly. that. There's so many variables when you're in that situation in, in a studio like that. Because uh, Kyle and I were talking way back when we first met and even before the podcast that, um, you know, recreating S- Suzanne's uh, Buchla concerts in 1975, I guess when yeah. we did that for the first episode of this, it's impossible to sound like that because that was yeah. recorded with a microphone in somebody's apartment. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're not going to. No, get... Yeah. It's like, man, why aren't we getting any New York street sounds? <laughs> I don't understand. But it's, it's the desire to sound like the inspiration but it's impossible to do that and and even like a couple of weeks ago when kyle and i I was chatting with kyle about i'm not a guitarist so i don't really know much about um really much about them you know why somebody would want different cabinets and amplifiers and stuff i'm willfully ignorant but it, it got us into the chasing the sound of you know billy corgan on siamese dream 
in my case, I was looking for how do I recreate the drums on 17 seconds by the cure on the track 17 seconds. <laughs> and wow. I thought, you know, that was a Simmons SDS 800 because that's what no. they used on pornography, but it wasn't, it was it's a real a, drum kit, a real drum yeah. kit with contact mics on the snares. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, now I can do that because I can use my DAW and all of that stuff. But yeah. it's, it's like chasing that sound. You'll never really get it no. exactly the same way. You'll just have to try to use it as an inspiration. But, you know, we don't, re unless you can hear them side by side, a 250, yeah. maybe even two different original 259s, they might even sound different through the exact same gear. Yeah. That was, I'd like to do that someday. But I that. know that on the 100 that I've got, um, I've got these sort of little um, filter module that's that's like a band, band pass filter. Mm -hmm. And that, that thing just sounds so amazing. Like you can pretty much, you know, it's so raw sounding, even though it's a filter. It's like something about the circuit in that. It sounds great. Is, it the, is it the 194? Oh, is it the one with the... Is it the 194? Yeah, the... it's a four-band four yeah, band one. Okay. And um, it just sounds amazing. And, and the, the ring modulators sound amazing. And the, the frequency shifter, you know, the, the actual quality of the sound of it is is so good. But mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know that my, my sort of modern 200 series isn't good. I just don't know because I can't sort of compare it to anything. But... Mm -hmm. I always worry yeah. about that because I don't. I don't know if if the guys who built it had real ones, like you know, with them when they were building them. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. We, Kyle, we know people who know Roman. We should find out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I that think... would be a, a very good idea. I'll ask Josh I... Holly. He'll know. <laughs> yeah, he might. Yeah. I think. Um, I think actually, I don't know. Maybe this is speaking out tune but um i think he did spend some time at ems and and yeah. was able to work with those modules a bit so i think a lot is is based on on that but i think some aren't like i i think that like the 275 the reverb yeah in equalizer i think that's just something of his own design or, or definitely or not not like from uh uh, yeah, not based off the original design. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, like we, we were talking about Robert, you know, gets down. I'm like fine with like, okay, I'm I'm pretty sure this <laughs> sounds like, because I didn't have like my 259 in Stockholm and, you know, yeah. go back and forth between the two. But I was, you know, I felt good afterwards. And I'm like, really? And maybe this kind of speaks is partly like maybe why you went to the 200 from the 200 e um but also like the actual design of the modules and the layout and stuff like that's there at least yeah. like that's you know that's... basically 100 percent. so even if yeah. like the sounds and the functionality is 70 75 percent of yeah. what the originals were like i'm like that's good enough to <laughs> for yeah. me because i'm able to to patch in um in the way that I want to, or the way that the system is guiding me and, you know, yeah. having fun doing it. And things get so complex so quickly on the, on a sort of, even a fairly small system that, you know, you kind of mm. get, you get into sort of sonic realms that you, you, you're so far away from any other system anyway, by that point, it's sort of, it's irrelevant really if it's sounding exactly the same as an original. 
Oh, I think you. Yeah, I lost. Did them. I cut out? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you get so kind of, um, you know, the sounds build up so much, so quickly, and so com- and sort of get very complex very quickly, and um, you, it doesn't really matter that it, it might not sound exactly like an original. It just starts sounding like itself, its own thing anyway, sort of pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess as yeah, it's as, as long as you're happy with that sound, then. Yeah, I love the You've 200. made it, you know. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about the sound differences between things, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I, I had listened to something that Kyle shared with me that he made on his system that was uh, like a, a 259R. And Kyle, I don't know exactly which modules you, you used on this, but it, I was just thinking about your system. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Dunnington 258D and yeah, Bemi, Bemi Easel and a few other things. And, and it was um, really, really well produced and well recorded and, and just sounded beautiful. And the, the tone of the, of the instrument, you know, just, I thought this just sounds great. And I have a 200E system. Yeah. I don't have a 259, you know, I've got a 261E, a 259E and a 258E primarily as my sound sources of my oscillators anyway. Yeah. And I can't really reproduce the tone that Kyle got from his stuff because they're completely different modules, even though you I know, they're the, still yeah, the two six the two sixty one is fairly similar, I think, actually. I've it compared, is. I've compared I kept my two sixty one. That's the only module I kept E series one. And um it sounds really similar to my two five nine actually, but it, hmm. it can, I think. Yeah. But there are other things in play. <laughs> you know, so if we did a 259 and 261e comparison for this podcast, which is something we we're going to do um, once we're able to do this again in person, yeah. The, but when you put it in the system with other things, and there's the whatever Kyle did to make that patch can't really be expressed in terms right. of the modules that he used. You know. <laughs> yeah. And that was the that was the, the thing that really came to mind as I was listening to it about why it, it sounded really. And I, I guess I could try to reproduce that sound if I wanted to, and maybe get pretty close to it uh, because the, the modules are similar enough in their design that you know, and maybe yeah. he could show me how to do it. But the there is a character both in the instrument itself and in the way the performer is using it, which yeah. is when we have that kind of this modernist discussion about the instruments as the the quality of the um, the sound and the output is in the instrument itself but and then the postmodern context is the person that's performing the instrument and the details of the art are, are you know are pointless to really discuss and we can have a whole episode about that someday but that was what kind of, and like and thinking about your work which you explore the synthesizer and I'm not putting you in a box here. I'm just like a yeah. tiny little detail, right? Okay. But you, you explore, you explore the synthesizer, like on 20 systems. Yeah. So the music itself to me, you know, when I listen to it is a detail that is expressed with the instrument because the track is named after the instrument. Yeah. And if you have the track that is the, the song subject an emotion or an experience, and then a chord prophecy is used on it, then that's a detail of the song. Right. And, so, okay. and that, that kind of that switches. And that's what I find so awesome about, you know, Buchla and Modular Surge and, and all of this is because we can jump between those two things and have deep conversations about both of them. 
and, and you know, at, even at the same time, that we wouldn't necessarily have about, say, a Steinway piano, or yeah. a, um, you know, or a chord prophecy. So yeah. that, that that's what kind of stand. That's I think that's one of my big takeaways from this really awesome conversation with you today. It's got me thinking about what would be like if I made a Buchla 200E album, and that each song's named after a module. And, you know, then a different, and then my, because my album that I released was all about how I was using the bucle. Like it was a, it was an important detail. It's yeah. kind of led with that. Yeah. So well, that, that's I, kind yeah. of my, I was thinking about that. And there's another thing about 20 systems that from a sort of conceptual point of view, it was kind of um, chronological. So it, you know, the, mm-hmm. it started in 1968, I think, or 67 and went, through to 1988 and that and this was something that sort of took me by surprise at the end when I put it all together was that you kind of heard how the sort of synthesizer evolved over that period from you know the early raw sort of analog modulars to the later sort of purely digital well the last synth on there's a uh, a kawaii what is it a, the, the k5 k5 yeah so it's the, yeah. it's the additive one love that thing love it's that amazing thing. But it's the yeah. opposite sort of con- it's conceptually the total opposite of of the Moog modular, which is what starts the album. So, over the hour, it kind of you can hear the the sort of evolution of the of the sort of whole sort of um, genre, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it kind of had that conceptual level to it that it it really was an album that was about the equipment purely. You know that there mm-hmm. was no other there was no other sort of thing about it that. I was concentrating on. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Did you change, or did you, with the the new kind of follow up to that with thirteen systems that came out this year? Yeah. yeah. Um, was it just kind of like falling, like let's revisit most of these instruments, or, or we're um, we're revisiting other ones too because there's stuff that's on there that wasn't on twenty systems. Yeah, um, that, uh, it was. It was no. It was just to go back to the idea, I suppose, and. Um, with the new mm-hmm. equipment that I had, because I had, like you say, different set of systems by then. But again, I did it chronologically. So it started in 68, I think, or 67, and went through 13 years. But um, the difference with that album is that I um, I played each track sort of live. I didn't overdub it. So on, on 20 systems, I, I kind of did sound on sound, you know, like I played a pass and then reground it and played another pass on top yeah, and built the tracks up like that overdubbed it yeah but on on this one i i decided i wanted to totally change the approach so i i actually just set up a patch on each system and then you know played it live in one go with no kind of overdubs or no edits or anything like that so it's quite a, a different yeah. approach but um similar kind of outcome well not not similar they do sound different because of that actually but um, the concept's the same in the sense that they it goes through the years again. Mm-hmm. But originally, you that did... was, sorry, that yeah, I did that originally for a. Um, do you know the modulism? Um, yeah, we were both featured on it, Philip Pitti. Yeah, Philip Pitti. Yeah, Philippe, yeah Philippe. Okay, so yeah, I I originally set sort of set up that. Um, 13 systems was part of the modulism, my, my modulism session. And it sort of evolved into an album basically after that. 
Nice. And then did you you put out there's a string of videos that you I mean you're pretty active I I have a hard time um tracking all of your different uh whether it's like Meantune Studios or <laughs> what's your YouTube channel? Zach Dagobah. Yeah, Zach, I was like, yeah. Come on, I man, know. stick to one thing. So I know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did I keep doing things like that. It's really stupid. <laughs> I mean, I don't anyway, want to be that it, critical on you. But... <laughs> it's really confusing. I, I'm confused. I confuse myself sometimes. <laughs> so I, I did a whole series of um during lockdown. Obviously, everyone was sort of doing these things. But I I did a load of um they call I called them isolation sessions where I just mm. record. I'd set up a patch and just let let the synth play itself. I didn't even touch it, sort of thing. I just left it running, mm-hmm. and I did quite a lot of them, and then. That that turned into something called Mirror Systems, which was, um, it was a, another version of you know playing one synth, letting it sort of evolve, and I turned that into an album as well. But this is because like norm- normally the studio is really busy here. I've got people coming and going all the time, and you know working on lots of different projects. But obviously we we were kind of not able to do that for months, so I just wanted. It's actually quite good in a way because I could really get my teeth into doing some of my own stuff again. Yeah. So that's what I did. I did loads of, I've done five albums this year, I think. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. But it's been yeah, really... I get caught up. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that thing for you guys as well. Is that going to be up? Yeah. So people have, um, by the time that they're hearing this, this will, that'll been out for two weeks and uh oh, cool. i am i i mean yeah you said you sent this to me a couple months ago and i listen to it quite frequently i'm really excited for for everybody else to hear so yeah let's go into that so you kind of i guess uh yeah to dig into that that's fun because i haven't been able to talk about um kind of the artist spotlight session with the artist yeah. that did it oh okay. yeah, that's um, pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> um and so you you said it's kind of basically four tracks and two with the 100 and two with the 200 and then yeah. they each differ a bit one's a bit more longer and sprawling and one's a bit more condensed for each of like kind of the yeah. sessions so, so the idea was to do a sort of drone piece followed by a a tone piece, so like a sequence tone piece. So, yeah. so the drone the drone piece is quite long, drawn out, just very sort of um, abstract. And then, and then a second piece on it on each system is you know the, the same format for each system. So, a drone piece followed by a short sequence piece. Yeah, I love it because it, I mean, it it shows the range. I mean, it shows your range as a musician and then also the range of like these instruments. Um, yeah, it's, it was so, yeah, it was interesting like setting up in two different ways. Yeah. Because I sort of, um, I, I tried to approach the, the patching the same on each system really. So, you know, so I tried to see where they would lead if I set up from, from a similar starting point, you know, um, Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting to hear the difference in, in tone between the two systems, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they they 
they show their cards in being, you yeah. know, the super raw 100 stuff. And then you get more intricate control with the, the 200. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you kind of, do you approach that? I guess like, yeah, kind of just getting like, I'm going to try this type of like, would you then take that to all your other <laughs> systems and kind of like, it's like, well, can I apply the same thing to I've another tried system? That. Yeah, I have tried. I mean, I've tried. I did this the other day, actually, trying to set up um, on the Moog modular, like a, a bookler patch, essentially, on the Moog modular. And it's really yeah. difficult. It just doesn't really work the same way. Because the thing about the bookler is it's got the, um, you know, the random elements in there are, are really well thought through and very, very integral to the way you work with it, with the two, mm -hmm. 266 or... Even on the 100, the, you know, it's got the um, stored random voltages. Um, mm -hmm. So you're kind of, you're encouraged on the bookler to use randomness very, very sort of fundamentally. Whereas on the Moog, it's literally just a, a white noise source. There isn't any other really random sort of module. Yeah. So th that's quite a different approach. You know, if you think about the actual composing a track or composing a piece of music that that's a completely different way of working so i mean mm -hmm. obviously I, you can cross you can use them together if you want and that, in fact the other day i used the um i've got an ems random generator like a rack mount thing that ems made and i connected that to the moog and it was like it suddenly sort of did start sounding quite booklery because the, those early oscillators on the move and the filter obviously is, is amazing. Do you find that there's more contr control with Bukla? Like that's maybe its biggest asset compared to the Moog? Um, yeah, it seems like they're, the way Don sort of thought about the modules, that they, they have really good sweet spots on, on the Bukla, especially on the 200. They, they kind of, you know, the, the control voltages are always set up really cleverly on them so that they they always kind of do something interesting. Whereas on on the Moog, you've got to kind of work a bit more to kind of... It's more sort of precise, but less less of a sweet spot, if you see what I mean. And that's the same with, like, mm -hmm. um, with a lot of the modulars. I mean, some of them are really difficult to use for that reason. Like something like... Um, I've got a Formant modular, which is like a German thing. It, from the late 70s it sounds it sounds great it sounds like it's really really powerful sounding but it's really horrible to kind of interact with it's got no kind of it's it's really kind of awkward if you see what i mean whereas the, the booklet just feels really natural to to use um mm -hmm. but then again the the formant has its own character and that's kind of what what i like about have, that's why i've got all these different systems is that they do all have their own character like the german the german ones kind of like german and the, <laughs> the california ones like really californian <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's far out man you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man I'm, le I'm leaving that in there um, the, the, the other one is the i've got an up up 2500 which is incredible but oh, again it's, it's yeah, really man, i want that so bad it's an amazing thing, but it, it really forces you to work in a specific way because of the sliders, the, the matrix system on it. And um, mm -hmm. I've actually just, I'm just doing an album on it now, one of the forms ones, because 
I wanted to get it out this year before because it's the twentieth. This is the fiftieth anniversary of it this year. Wow! Oh so wow! I'm trying to kind of get that get that done this year. But anyway, I've been working with that a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it it really kind of puts you in a certain frame of mind when you're using it. It's very very different to to any other system really. But um, mm-hmm. I did this sort of interesting thing with on on the when I did my last album, the Devil's Leap one, on the 200, um, I was thinking about how to interact with with the bookler in a sort of different way. And what I used, I actually ended up using a sampler to sample sounds into uh, off the 200 and then play them back sort of multi-timbrally. And that was a really interesting, it really opened up like the, the way I sort of composed with it, actually. And I was sort of thinking about that a bit because I was thinking about how Don kind of went off on a complete digital tangent, like in the mid seventies, which is kind of a really interesting era for me. I think when when he kind of because you know he, he developed lots of different um, digital systems that aren't really kind yeah. of known about very much. Yeah, right. So, um, which is a real shame because they're amazing things. I, I don't have any of them, but I. I've used a 700 before. I did an album on a 700 on Rick's one. Um, oh yeah, weren't you only there for <laughs> like you? I was, yeah, I was there for like an afternoon. That out really quickly. <laughs> I, I was so lucky because that that thing's amazing. It it just like, and I kind of just really connected with it really quickly. And mm. in about three hours, I just recorded loads of sort of bits off it and and then took it back and edited it, and it turned out to be an album sort of thing. But the thing was that it, it it was really nice to use. It was really easy to to work with, um, just because of its interface was just amazing. But there's only like six of them or something, you know. They're really un- yeah. unknown. But Don must have yeah. spent so long like putting that together. That 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 whole kind of the R and D behind that thing must have been amazing. And it, it's got its own computer system. Like it's actually it's got its own software specifically written for it. Mm-hmm. And he, I, yeah, so but anyway, what I was thinking, what I was doing was kind of uh, with the last album that I did was kind of thinking how I could use like a digital sampler to work with the 200 basically. So I mm. and see how that would open up the kind of composition process. And it was, it was really good fun doing it that way. It basically meant I could play chords on it. So I, I could yeah, kind of right. sample off stereo sounds off the 200 like really weird sort of crazy evolving sounds and then play them back like as a chord yeah and then edit edit it in midi and stuff like that so it it was fun yeah i think i think i I would i guess i would i would assume because i haven't played the the 700 but you know i always hear suzanne talk about how with the 200s stuff, like Don really wanted it to be a performance instrument. And so you've got all this kind of real-time control that you can use. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, myself, and, you know, like you did on the 13, um, uh, 13 systems, and, you know, you're playing in time and you're, you know, it's a performance. Yeah. Um, where Where that sounds like it's the opposite. You know, it's like you're getting the sound and then taking that sound and, yeah. and, and yeah. manipulating that and and um 
Yeah, and so which, create, creating it in the sequencer in a way. Yeah, in which I got which I, I, I would. Do you do that more with um with your other system? Like, is that something more frequent that that you would do with like the Moog and stuff? No, I'd never, I'd never tried it before. That's just okay. I, I kind of just set this sort of new new approach up, and I've really enjoyed it. In fact, I've been using that with the ARP twenty five hundred actually doing this album that way. So, mm-hmm. but. I think sort of Don would have approved of it. Actually, I think he kind of, you know, sampling. He never went to towards sampling, but I think when you combine it with the actual two hundred series, it's kind of where a little bit where he wanted to, where he was trying to go with the four hundred or with the um with the three hundred. I think possibly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if if sampling had been like cheap and available, then I'm sure he would have. I don't know. I can't speak for him, but uh, he would have he would have had some fun, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. He was starting. Well, he had always really embraced the idea of the computer as yeah, a, you know, a, a performance device. There's a, a module made by Keen uh, for Bukla, Bukla 200e. It's a the 282e quad trans event generator. Oh, and yeah. its design is based kind of loosely on what Don was trying to achieve for function generators in, in computers. So you have a much more, we have 128 or 256 lines of resolution for points along your function, as opposed to say 16 on a MAR for 32 with the expander. So just the possibilities because of an eight bit processor, you know, and that's where, I think that's where he was going and he was still way ahead of his time. Didn't, didn't it, Touche, whatever it's called, have that sort of thing on it. I think so. Yeah, that it was. Uh, I'm not an expert in those things. They all run together in my mind. But yeah, the, the they had I was a, trying to put a timeline together of, of those digital systems, and it's really confusing how they, mm-hmm. you know, where they came. But I think it's it's some, it's an area that is going to be discovered more. I think that 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 whole branch of his of his. Um, research really that that that's been lost because there's only a handful of each each one available you know each each um system he only made about 10 of or something yeah 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 it just seemed like he had the, <laughs> the prize of like okay like i've i've done the thing and then just like let's move on like yeah <laughs> like yeah. on to the next thing and i think i think probably just you know the era of like the technology like he was always at the forefront and like his ideas were maybe was like even further so it's just like the technology was never um was never in sync with uh with what he was trying to do so it kind of was like he always needed to like move on to the next thing because it was outdated immediately for him (laughs) that's my (laughs) yeah that's my assumption but yeah Yeah. I, i hope we can get somebody on soon that does have more um yeah it worked with him or something yeah that i mean just the programming alone in the 80s for that what he was trying to do would have been just enormously expensive and required specialized knowledge you know it's it's relatively easier now of course just because there's so, so much information available and the skill sets are so broad but back then 
Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It was like, what's the hardest thing I could possibly do? Okay, my <laughs> own computer system yeah. with its own programming language. There's one that he did called FOIL, which stands for Far Out Instrument Language. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. FOIL, yeah. FOIL, yeah. Like mm. I said, man, far out, man. Like, yeah. You know, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want someone to write something. No, I can't write books, but someone should write a book about his about Don's digital systems that never got, you know, fully realized. Yeah. I would read that. Yeah. I'm waiting for that <laughs> yeah. big old coffee table. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Eight pound thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. I guess anything else that we want to get into? There's one, one, before we wrap up. one thing I have to mention is that yeah, um, yeah. when I, when I first, when I built my, I built a house like 10, 15 years ago. And, um, mm -hmm. I used black Davies knobs for all the light switches. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm hanging up. <laughs> <laughs> so my house was like a kind of, um, my, my, my house was kind of voltage controllable. That's amazing. W was it like wow. truly? No, it just had like, black Davies knobs. Okay. It, it looked like it should be. <laughs> I was like, that's some, that's some, uh, that's some forethought. And I'm sure like the contractors didn't, uh, yeah. see that coming. <laughs> Do you have a photo of, yeah, I've got, so I've, I've got a studio blog that I run. I'll send you a, a link to the, uh, it's, it's a long while ago I did it, but yeah, I'll send it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to link to that or okay. I'll start a GoFundMe to replace all those with Rogan's. <laughs> yeah, we come in through there, and we'd be we'd be chucking them off, and you'd have blue knobs all over. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, do you want to tell us just a tiny bit about your studio, Moontune, and you know the um, how it's set up and what oh, you're wow. what you're able um, to do there? Well, it's just, um, I mean, the control room is basically full of modular synths. You know, it's like a whole. A whole array of them, which are all connected up to a patch bay, big patch bay thing. So, yeah, it's like a. I'm really into kind of old effects units, drum machines, everything from that sort of 70s, 80s period, and modular synths. So, if you can imagine that, it's like sort of, um, you know, Reason, the, the software. Oh yeah. It's it's kind of like a real version of that. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. you're living the you're living the dream is what you're telling us. Well, yeah, it's been a long while in the making, but yeah. So when when you have artists come and produce a tracks or an album in your studio, and the, you they use your equipment, so it's, and it's the same equipment that you use on your own work, right? Yeah, yeah. And do you help people with patching or yeah, you know, kind of the I, way a, a producer yeah, would? It is a bit daunting coming in here because it, you know, there's so many options basically that that's kind of it's always kind of difficult when you start something fresh with people to kind of not just get like bogged down in wires, you know. But um, yeah, I, I've got quite good ways of working. I kind of know which things to go to for for which projects, you know, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's pretty fun. I think I'm going to come out there after COVID is over. Well, you're welcome. I'm serious. I think I'm going to book some studio time and just just relax. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll take Kyle with me. Do and, it. Uh, yeah. Do a Source of Uncertainty album. That'd be oh, really man. fun. That'd I'm, be I'm not joking. Well, I'm serious. No, I'd love that. That yeah, that's a goal. That's a uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a post-COVID goal. Right? <laughs> that's like the yeah. first thing I'm doing when we get the all clear. <laughs> Look at my flight. Yeah. Excellent. Go to shareways.com. <laughs> if it still exists, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to swim. I don't know. Like, Rowboat. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Well, cool. cool. Well, Bench, thanks so much for for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Fun chat. Yeah, I could go for hours for sure. I'd like to thank Benj for being on the show. His Bandcamp, blog, and Instagram handle are listed in the notes section of this episode. I'd like to shout out a couple of our friends' podcasts. There's Tim Held's Podular Modcast and Jay Ryan's The Deerhorn Podcast. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash sourceofuncertainty. And you can get your Source of Uncertainty t-shirts at sourceofuncertainty.threadless.com. Great late Christmas presents. Get one. Um, you can find out more about the show or contact us through our website at sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Source of Uncertainty and on YouTube. I have an album out. If you, uh, you're actually probably listening to some music from it right now, uh, and you can find it at darksparkler.bandcamp.com. Until next time, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs>